can you hear me? Is that all right? Is that okay? Thank you. All righty. Uh, I'm going to prepare you ahead of time. Um, my phone. If you hear um, a highway to the danger zone, that is my reminder that I'm getting close to I have to be done. <laughs> so if you sort of get in the need for speed, <clears throat> that is why. Um, my wife does worship, so that means if I go over her time, um, <clears throat> there is danger. Um, small but mighty. Um, and, and I love that about her. Uh, so uh, I've been up here a couple of times. Some of you may know me, some of you may not. Uh, some of you may not be tremendously familiar with me, so I left my hat on, because if I take my hat off, I don't think most of you would even recognize me. Um, it's there for another reason, too, but um, honestly, uh, it's rarely off me. Um, when I'm sleeping and my room door is closed before I take it off, so. Um, so uh, nice to see you all this morning. Uh, my topic this morning, I, I started some months ago uh, dealing with the crucifixion, kind of heavy. Uh, we jumped over to God's sense of humor, not nearly as heavy. Um, love is a little bit of an easier topic. It's, it's throughout scripture, um, but uh, I am, deep breath, I, I hope by the end of today you won't be quite as comfortable uh, as when you started, and, and I mean that in a good way, um, because today we're going to be talking about loving the unlovely. Um, and images may come to your mind almost instantly. First one is, who is he to talk about the unlovely? Uh, and that's true. Um, but to be fair, if we close our eyes, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I, you know, corporate events, when, pre, when pastors or preachers tell me to do something as a big group, it, gets, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But all of us can do this with our eyes wide open. We can imagine somebody in our minds that fits that definition. Somebody that is either visually, sometimes your closeness to this person, and it may be somebody in this room, makes you uncomfortable for some reason or another. Um, and to you, they are, for whatever reason, difficult to love. Uh, maybe it's somebody, and we'll get into this a little bit later, uh, who thinks differently than you, looks differently than you, um, raises their kids differently than you, votes differently than you, roots for a different team. Okay. Um, Theodore Roosevelt was not a theologian. <laughs> um, but he once said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Many people who are not theologians, not Bible scholars, have said things that are biblically sound or impactful to us in ways that build our character. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, one of those guys, a lot of, you know, as some politicians are, I hate to say, uh, inspiring things that have been said through history. Um, one not such person. Uh, there's a well-known story from the First World War back in the 19-teens. Okay? During the Argonne Offensive, which was in France, um, a bunch of United States uh, Army 
uh, units were sent um, in a certain direction. Let's put it that way. They got to a certain area, and the German army was well entrenched, and little did they know in far greater numbers than they had expected or had been told. They came across an open area, and immediately the, the unit they were in was blitzed with machine gun fire. And by the time the smoke was cleared and the guns were still firing and people had hit the ground, there was less than 25 men left. Well, these 25 men had been part of a larger group that had been sent to find this group of German soldiers that had been creating problems and get them out of there because they were key to this one area that they needed to get through. In that moment, three, as the story goes, two or three men, one in particular, um, went on a flank, and one gentleman uh, singled out because he's extraordinarily well known for what he did. In the span of less time than it is going to take me to talk to you this morning, um, killed conservative estimates, uh, almost 35 German soldiers, and forced the surrender of over 130 of them by himself with the help of two other men in other locations. Um, his name was Alvin York. At the time, he was an acting corporal. He was an acting corporal because he was just recently been a private, promoted to active, you know, acting corporal because the other corporals, sergeants, etc., were dead, with almost no exceptions. He later became a sergeant. You've probably heard his story. Many of you have maybe even seen the movie, uh, Sergeant York, Gary Cooper. Um, it's worth seeing. But there's a story to Alvin York. Um, he started out as a rough and tumble, backwoods kind of guy, very poorly educated, minimally educated, I would say. Uh, he did learn to read and write. Uh, he came to faith not that long before he was drafted and sent to war. And the movie goes into this in some detail, and, and Sergeant York or Alvin York's diary supports this. Um, he had a conflict between what his faith, his new faith, I remind you, and this mandate to go to kill, to go to war, was doing inside of him. So in this moment of duress, with brothers in arms laid waste before him, he had a choice. He had been given a choice earlier to do duties that didn't involve killing people. But he said, no, he'd come to the conviction that God put him here for a reason. He was here for no other reason than the people next to him. And so he was going to do what his brothers in arms were sent to do. And so in that moment, he acted. And in acting, he not only saved the men that he had left under his command as a corporal, um, but in an act of mercy, offered surrender to a vastly superior German army simply because he was in a spot they couldn't kill him. All right? They tried. They saw him there. They didn't know he was alone, but he offered them mercy, and they took it. Because at that point, even their commanding officer had seen him with his sidearm take down seven of his own men right before his very eyes. 
And at the same time, that same commanding officer had tried to kill Sergeant York, or Corporal York at the time, with seven shots out of his own sidearm and missed every single time. This was, not a, this was not a battle this dude was winning, at least in his mind, and he gave up. He gave his force up, wisely so. So keep that in mind um, as, as, as I speak here. Um, the Bible is, is, is basically the central topic of the Bible is love. Uh, so I'm going to talk a couple things real quick. What love is, what love isn't. Um, I, I'm not a preacher by trade. Most of you know that. And by now, probably five minutes in, the rest of you do too. Um, so biblical scholarship is not my job. Uh, I, I do love to study the Bible. I, I must admit, I love to study history. And uh, war history is, is fascinating to me ever since I was a kid. Maybe you can tell. Um, but I'm not going to take this to a biblical scholarly level. I'm going to make some observations on scripture uh, and on this topic um, and hope that you will see in it something the way that Christ loved us that you can take and put into your life, if nothing more than as a reminder. So what, what is love? Um, for starters, it's simple. It's about people. Uh, we say very, very cavalierly, I love chocolate, I love the Red Sox, I love summer, I love, and, and I'm a veterinarian but as my profession, I love my pets, okay? It, it's not that kind of love, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Now, you're free to say those things. I'm not telling you not to say those things. It's a different kind of love. Um, today, we're talking about agape love. I'm not going to go into all the other Greek words of love. I, 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 I studied them enough to know that I'm not going there. Not, not today, not today, maybe, maybe, some, maybe some other time. Uh, but this, this is the love uh, that is defined or best understood as, as selfless and universal. And universal is kind of what I'm going for today. There has to be a selfless element to love in any form, but the universality of it is what we're talking about. And hence, how do we love the unlovely? Because we are supposed to love literally everybody. There are no exceptions. So it's about people. Uh, and as I already mentioned, it's mandatory. I didn't say mandatory, but I'm going to say it out loud. Uh, and I don't like that because black and white kind of grates against your nerves sometimes. But it's true. We're not given an option in scripture. All right. Loving others is to be the living, active language of the believer. That is our, that is our, our commission. That is our goal. It is uncompromising. Uh, literally, what I mean by that is without qualification or limitation. I did say everybody, and I meant everybody. Jesus goes out of his way on multiple occasions to, to call out specifically people to love that are hard to love. In his time, the Romans, mm, okay? So bring our country back to 1770s, that would be the British or you know, the people that, were, uh, that we were at friction with. Uh, Jesus called us to love the unclean. In that time, that was, there was so many ways in the Jew Jewish culture you could become unclean. Um, and, and they were looked down upon, despised, even if it was temporarily. 
okay? Until they were clean again, shunned, okay? And he's like, no, that's not how we think about those things. Um, Samaritans, tax collectors, Gentiles. Basically, if there was a, a, a classic Jewish family sitting in the front row and I just said those three words, they'd go, <gasps> a corporate gasp if you'd said that. That's basically what Jesus was bringing to them. Love is challenging. We are promised difficulty in our lives, and our enemy is wily, a wily opponent. Uh, That enemy will go after our weakest spots. You know this. You deal with temptation in your own life on a day-to-day basis. Not only will they go after our weak spots, but they will try to take away our most powerful weapons. That is, I played video games for years, and one of the most powerful moves you can do is to disarm your enemy. Fight's over. Okay? If the enemy takes away your love for other people, you're useless. Okay? You can do no harm to the enemy if you do not love, if you cannot love other people. And that is what I'm challenging you today. Do not be useless in love. It does sort of go without saying, but I think it must be said. Uh, Love originates from God. All people are made in his image. Therefore, nobody, no matter how flawed they may be in your eyes or my eyes, is unable, and I say unworthy, unable to be loved. Nobody. Um, All right, let's flip over the other side. What isn't love? What love isn't? And and this this is, I don't know how to say that. What love is, what love isn't. So we're on the isn't side of things. Um, Let's be clear. Love is not agreement or acquiescence. Okay? It's not an emotion in the absence of truth. Okay? So you do not have to agree with the person you are called to love. You can abjectly disagree with everything they stand for and still love them. In fact, you're commanded to if I may go so far. Likewise, and this, this is hard for, I grew up in a very uh, conservative, legalistic church environment. Um, truth communicated in an unloving manner was commonplace. Uh, and it was wrong. Okay, truth must be spoken. Truth will make people uncomfortable, but it need never be unloving. It can be unyielding and still be loving, much like a parent with their child. No, you don't run in the road after that favorite toy of yours because you might get killed. (laughs) That's simplistic, but analogous, okay? Love isn't blind. It isn't blind. We, we hear that said, but it isn't blind. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, for example, Jesus recognized me, needs, specific needs of the people that he ministered to. It's all throughout scripture. I can give you example after example after example. In fact, if anybody wants sort of the, the scripture references for all of this, I'll be happy to provide them to you at another time. Um, But he met those needs at their point of need. 
it's not always situationally appropriate. In other words, not all types of love to all people in all circumstances. I love my God differently than I love my wife, differently than I love my daughter, differently than I love Steve Walker. Hi, Steve. <laughs> so, and, and, and last but not least, uh, it's not limited to people with a specific spiritual gifting. <laughs> no, I was not going to leave that out. Um, and what I mean by that is very much like evangelism, and that's something I struggle with. It's not something I'm gifted in, okay? But it's something we're all called to do. Love is the same way. You don't have to be spiritually gifted there to be called to love. So who are the unlovely? And this is, okay, everybody take a deep breath. Um, everyone, okay, that's the cop-out answer because every single one of us is unlovely to somebody else. Somebody, okay? Um, Mark Vincent was up here a few weeks ago talking about how we visually stigmatize people as they come at us on the sidewalks and shape them up, size them up, and uh, you know, almost visually rank them in our head. Um, do they look better than us? Are we, does that make us jealous, envious? Do they look worse than us? Worse than us, okay? Does that give us a sense of pride because we think we're better than them? Um, Almost everybody you pass has something in their lives that you know nothing about, okay? And this is what Mark was saying, and I love that he said that kind of thing, because it's true. No matter how good they look, how put together they look, no matter how filthy they look, okay, they're going through something that you cannot understand. After work, when I was a kid, I was filthy, uh, my clothes were a wreck, and I'd go into a restaurant, and I'd get weird looks, even though I'd worked from sunup to sundown, working hard for a good reason, you get those looks. And the guy that comes in in his three-piece suit, maybe he's on vacation, doesn't get the same looks. Okay. Everybody you pass needs to be loved. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Nobody, nobody's not needing it. Okay. Uh, Steve Walker. I'm going to use Steve Walker because he's sitting right in front of me. Um, I could be jealous of Steve. Okay. Steve's taller. He's got more hair. Um, and, and Heather Walker says he's more handsome than I am and she's the, one of the most honest people I know of so she can't be biased okay he's also got a great sense of humor okay um, but I can still love Mark even though he's superior to me uh, I mean not Mar um, Steve sorry uh, I had like three guys picked out in the, in the congregation, depending on who was here. Mark Vincent was one, Steve was one. I was going to pick on Nick, but I felt like that was going to be like, a, like the butter up moment there. Um, so uh, getting on to the rest of the, you know, so for me, for, for me, that could be tough. Steve could be tough because I could be jealous of so much that Steve is that I'm not. Okay. But I can love Steve. How are you feeling, Steve? Okay, all right, sounds familiar. All right, well, that's good to hear. Uh, Steve's been through a lot physically lately, so keep him in your prayers. Um, what people believe, <laughs> I'll go here briefly. Think about this, political views, social issues, social justice issues, racial issues, family issues, church issues, okay? Um, Fellow believers can be our biggest challenge. Very similar to family members, and we'll come back to that really shortly. 
Um, really quickly, who are my unlovelies? Okay, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I'm going to go into a lot of detail. Bad tippers. Okay, grates my nerves. Okay, I understand. I get, I get where you're coming from. The restaurant guy is supposed to pay the, the server. Maybe you don't tip very well because that's not your job. Okay, the system is set up in a certain way to reward people that do a good job. Tip your servers, please. <laughs> I'm soapboxing here. I I, this is not a church viewpoint. This is not official faith Bible viewpoint or anything like that. Um, but people who don't tip well or they leave a track a gospel tract instead of a tip. And I get it, I, I sort of get the visual picture, you're giving them a, 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 you know, a pathway to a priceless faith. Okay, priceless does not mean redeemable for cash. Okay, and our witness should be that which ministers to the person in need. Okay, leave them a note, tell them how grateful you are for their service even if it wasn't perfect, leave them a good tip, have that conversation next time. Or add the tract on top of it. That's fine. Okay? The ungrateful or the entitled. I have a big problem in our culture today with the entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve that. My kids have all been told whether they'll practice it or not in, in real life is a different story. Gratefulness is a cornerstone to our family's character. Always be grateful. Somebody, you know, oh, I, oh, oh, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner amongst, a chief among sinners in this regard. Someone, I open the door for someone and they go in and they ignore you. Okay? I don't, you don't really need to be told thank you, maybe even just a nod or something like that. But in my head, I'm saying you're welcome. Okay? That, that goes through my head. All right, so I'm not perfect in any regard, okay? But that lack of gratitude, my kids have been told, hey, hold the door, and if someone opens the door for you, say thank you. Simple, it's really simple. Um, science deniers, and I will not go on this, I'm a scientist, okay? Um, plain and simple point, regardless of what side of various, very hot button topics you fall right now in our culture today, okay? One fact stands supreme in my opinion as a scientist. If there can be no debate, it is not science. If you cannot ask questions, it is not science. Have the discussion, have the debate. Otherwise, if there can be no debate, then your viewpoint is an ideology closer to religion than it is to science. Let's talk about it, okay? Sports loyalties, ouch. Ouch. Ooh. So as I was going through this message, as other messages, I was praying a lot. And I had to pray, Jesus, Lord, God, do I have to love the Alabama fans? <laughs> I went to the University of Tennessee. Do I have to love the Georgia fans, the Kentucky fans, and oh, the Gator fans? <laughs> Ugh. Do I have to love the fans of a team whose name I've still never capitalized. <laughs> and some of you think I'm joking. So that's not a mature way to think about things, OK? It is who I am. It is a weakness of mine. 
And if I sin in almost anything in my home environment, it's probably in relation to something up on that screen. Just letting you know. However, I am trying to plan a trip to Fenway Park. If anyone wants to come with me, we keep it clean. We keep it respectful. We do eat lots of junk food, though. So be warned. Um, there is a, a, we have the John 13 karma. John 13, 34, and 35. So there is scripture in this. There's scripture throughout this, but... John 13, 34 to 35, and this is the point I said I was going to come back to. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And this is, this is uh, Jesus basically talking to his disciples, his core group. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Most of us have probably heard that verse at some point or another. The contention that we have with fellow believers is one of the most odorous, odious, stinky stains on our faith as a whole. People ask those, there have been studies done on those who have left the Christian faith or left church attendance or some combination of that sort of thing. Almost universally, no matter who does the study or how they do the study, the number one reason that people left the church was because of people in the church. It wasn't because something was more attractive out there. Okay, we talk about that. Oh, so the world is so attractive. Yes, it is so attractive. Does that suck people out of church? Not usually. It does. It's an element of it. It's contributing to it. But the most central issues are hypocrisy amongst the believers. Now, they are going to expect you to be better than the average person. And when you cannot be civil with them, you cannot love them within the church. And you sit in church talking about loving other people outside the church. That inconsistency is as obvious as me wearing an Alabama shirt to people who know me. Okay? And it's far more serious. Or a Yankees jersey. Oh. Oh. I, I won't even bet with a Yankees fan and then wear a jersey as the payment for that bet. I'm just, just letting you know. Um, but loving each other is absolutely central to our witness to the people around us. Absolutely central. Um, and as a sort of perspective placer, this verse, this section right here is set between two bookends. And if you want to look it up, you can look it up. It's as big as a red nose, red nose on a clown. Obvious. Okay? And that is Highway to the Danger Zone. Uh, not that. Um, and that is, this is stuck in the same conversation. Right before this, Jesus said to Judas, he called him out as his betrayer. Immediately after this, and I mean immediately after this, he tells Peter he's going to deny him three times that very night. That's where this is stuck. Think about that. His own disciples, two people are going to betray him out of the 12 people sitting with him. And this is right in between them. Really quickly, 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I was going to have everybody read this, but I'm, I'm going to go through this because we're running short on time. Um, Cliff Notes version. I'm going to read to you a list. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 13 through the eyes of a veterinarian, dissected. Okay? I'm going to give you a list. Tongues of men and angels, languages, good speaking, prophetic powers, the understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge. You'll hear some of these phrases. They'll sound familiar, but they're not the way that you're used to hearing them. Having all faith so that you can move mountains. Giving everything you own away, giving your life sacrificially for another. Think about those things and beware. And I say beware because of this. Many of these things are visually what we think of as people who have it all together. They're good Christians. They're great Christians. They're, they're accomplished Christians. Every single one of them has a qualification in 1 Corinthians 13. If you do these things, these amazing things, without love, you're a noisemaker. You're nothing and you've gained nothing. Love isn't envious, boastful. Arrogant, rude, irritable, resentful, or vengeful. Love is patient, kind, selfless, determined, faithful, hopeful, and it perseveres. And last but very much not least... Verse 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I thought about that. Why? Okay. Faith. What does that do for me? It saves me. We are saved by faith. It's literally how we are saved. Okay. But that's me. That's not Steve Walker. That's not Dave Peterson. That's not Heather Walker. Okay, that's me. Hope. Now, this is also predominantly housed within us, but in Scripture, basically, it's, it's something that can be shared within a group. In fact, Paul often wrote, I hope that you, I, I write to, that you may have hope to a, a particular church. And then he gives reasons for that hope. Okay, love. Love is an act that can give hope to others. It is the essential tool that brings hope to the world. And it is the tool that we have, the weapon, so to speak, that we have that can bring others to faith. Back to Teddy Roosevelt for just a moment. Um, and back to the I'm not gifted that way. I have trouble in that department. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Very simple. Very simple. And last but not least, I finally got a theologian up there. All right. And my wife found this for me. It says, love is never wasted, for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. You don't need to get it back. Okay. We are commanded to love, uh, and we are commanded to love all. 
I have in my mind people that are difficult to love because of the things that I am weak in, the things that I hold dear versus the things that other people hold dear. Some of you, maybe even. And I, I, I honestly don't have anything against anybody in this room, but if I talked to every single one of you at length, I would probably find something I was uncomfortable with, and you with me. And yet we're called to love each other. That's what Jesus did for us. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. That is the model, and we are the tools. This is our tool. And so my encouragement would be to you today, think about that. Who is it difficult for you to love? Challenge yourself. Love the people that are difficult to love. Don't stick to the easy road.